if you've got a shoulder injury or a back injury or a knee injury, people want a quick fix. The quick fix doesn't work. Never has and never will. What we need to instill is the longevity, you know, the physical pension type of thought process because you may be 50 years of age. In five years' time, you're going to be 55 no matter what. You can't change that. Now, what you can change is in five years' time, you're going to be 55, but you may have had the opportunity to work on your knees, your ankles, your hips, your shoulders in that five-year period. Now, in five years' time, if you dedicated a bit of, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes every single day to fix those, in five years' time, I guarantee they're going to be different. But people don't perceive it. You get five years. You want me to work on my shoulders for five years? Well, yeah, in five years' time, you're going to be five years old no matter what. So you might as well do a little bit of work. This episode of the Project Human podcast is with Rob Westra where we discuss the idea of your physical pension, how we can make small daily investments in our long-term health so that we can live fully and not be one of the growing majority that are out of shape and suffering. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining me. Um, You've got a great handle on Instagram, your physical pension. Yes. (laughs) I think it speaks for itself, um, but... Yeah, how did you come up with that name? What does that name mean for you? It's it's a oh, thank you and, and uh, thanks for having me on here. Uh, the the your physical pension was something that my wife and I um, talked about, and we were looking at so many uh, adults ourselves, and what we kind of discovered or found was that no, not not many people. No, no, I don't say not not no one, but not many people are actually really thinking about what they want to do when they're 70, 80, 90. And, you know, I've, I've been telling everyone I'm going to live until I'm over 100. Um, but I want to function when I'm in those ages. I just don't want to exist. So it was like, right, what we need to come up with a platform and a way to help us aging adults over 40, over 50, over 60. My clients are in there. Some of my clients are in their 60s. Start to prepare them and set the groundwork for what they want to do when they are 80, 90, and so forth. So that's how the physical pension, you know, we often hear social media is brilliant, but also in the in the the wider community, like uh, if you're looking at the news and so that we're conditioned to say we need to save money for when we retire. And it's one of those things, if you look at the statistics, which is really scary, when people do retire. Many of them don't do any physical activity once they hit that retirement age of whatever it may be for them. And unfortunately, quite a high percentage of them pass away within like five years. You know, they've got ailments and problems and so forth. And I think it's because the brain starts to slow down because they're not getting up doing the daily stuff anymore. And also their body just virtually comes to us to a standstill. So it's kind of like, right, we need a system to help us aging adults do the things we want to do and, and it kind of like let's make you know your physical pension and, and it's kind of like just putting deposits in to your depend you know into your physical pension on a daily basis instead of making withdrawals which is uh what most people are doing unfortunately they are taking out of their system so that's that's how that's how it, that's how it came about i see yeah it's great um so you mentioned having a system of um, training or health practices. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? What are the what are the fundamentals 
that you're working on with your clients? Well, the, the, fundament, the fundamental thing of the whole thing is, is kind of like when we look at exercise and we look at movement, most people think of exercise as, like, I'm going to go for a run, uh, you know, I'm going to jump on the spin bike or whatever it may be. We're not, we're not looking at what is the purpose of exercise. What is it all about? Yeah, I want to get fitter. I want to get stronger. I want ligaments. I want to be flexible. I want, but what's the whole purpose of the whole thing? When you break it down in my philosophy, if you, when you break it all down, the main reason we do or the only reason that we do what we do is to keep our brain functioning. So if our brain doesn't function, then it doesn't matter what your body looks like because you're a shot duck. So we've got to try and come up with routines and exercises to keep the whole body moving as one unit. And the brain is the key to that. Hence, when you we start to look at the, the system, so I'll bring in breathing, there'll be eye drills, there'll be jaw drills, there'll be stuff for, you know, coordination. That We don't just look at, I don't just look at the body as, right, today we're going to do strength. So we'll just work muscles. Today we're going to do flexibility, so we'll work on some ligaments and so forth, you know. I see it as a, as a whole, and each day with my personal clients, my one-to-ones, it will change based on their emotion, how well they've slept, because you might have a program written out that is incorporating, right, today we're going to do X, Y, Z, and they walk through the door and you just go, we're not doing X, Y, and Z because X, Y, Z is going to bust them. We need to go and do ABC instead today. You know, So it's having that understanding of what the body requires on that day because it's going to change. And as we age, let's face it, it's kind of easy, I would say, to train someone who's 20, 25, 30, you know, up to 35. You just give them a program and they'll be happy days. As soon as you start to get into the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, they require different things. You know, you need to have the empathy and the understanding of the human body a little bit more because they're not going to be able to do what is necessary based on, you know, their thought processes and their experiences from from growing up. So, so is that your main client group? Are we are we looking at people thirties, forties, fifties? Yeah, yeah. What kind of people are you working with? Yeah, all all of my, all of my um, in person clients are all over forty. They're all business owners, short of time to a certain degree, but they all. I'm very fortunate that they all adopt and work to the philosophy that we have about aging. It's not about weight loss. It's not about how much you can back squat. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about understanding their body, their requirements, and building a resilient body to be able to do the things that they want to do as they age, which might be snow skiing you know i've got a lot of a lot of clients that that enjoy that you know climbing up the top of munros and, and wherever they're going in the world having the confidence to to go to let's say thailand or whatever it may be and go paddle boarding you know that, that gives gives them that difference it's it's what's the it's it's a difficult one to explain to some people that are in that in our age group because they just have that thought process of i can't do that Whereas we don't, we don't have that at all. When you come into my into my world, it's we can do that. We just need to build the steps to be able to do that. And as a as an aging adult, we have to sometimes really regress. Regress is probably not the right word, but start from a, a really 
basic level for the nervous system to teach the nervous system and their consciousness that they are capable of doing it. You know, so it's like a handstand for argument's sake. You don't just bring a handstand into someone. You know, we do the handstand for the for the um, neuroplasticity of the brain and the new mapping type of thing. But we start off with just getting the head to come up and down because there's vestibular problems. And it's one of the things that we find with aging adults is that, you know, balance and things are starting to really play a part. So all the movements are designed for a multiple realm of effectiveness, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You mentioned somebody who's in their 20s or 30s, a younger athlete. It is pretty straightforward. The recovery is much quicker. Yeah. Probably going to have... Better, better range of motion in their joints. Um, and someone a little older, although they may have been um, active or training when they, when they were younger, if they've let it go for a little bit, yeah, um, it is about checking the ego sometimes, isn't it, and starting from yeah, uh, a, a lower point than, than you're expecting. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, and, I yeah, think, trying to think long-term. Try to think, try to think long-term. And it's, it's, it's kind of, there's always a fear barrier, you know, so I can use, use a couple of examples of, you know, if you get a, a younger guy and, and you start to teach them about box jumps and so forth, great exercise um, to do different things, you know, you get someone who's in their 40s, 50s, and, and, and you want to start to teach them, you know, to do a box jump as an example, they've got a fear that's already kicked in that they're going to clip the top of it and they're going to headbutt the floor on the other side. Now, in the 20s and 30s, that fear mechanism really isn't there because they're just going to to hit the deck. So what we do or what I do is we work the worst-case scenario first. So it's like, right, if we're going to program in at some stage – that later down the track you're going to be doing some box jump, which is, which is good for bone density and you know gets the heart rate up and leg strength and mobility and all of those type of things, which is a good exercise. You don't have to have a massive box; it just be a low box. We will teach them rolling patterns first, so that there is a muscle memory and a muscle map of what may happen if necessary. So a lot of the times we train these things for that one day where everything goes pear-shaped and you need it so that you don't just headbutt the floor, your hand comes up, you go into a roll and you pick yourself back up again. So if we can teach that first, then there is a fear taken off the table of them going to, going to basically injure themselves. It's kind of like we've done the rolling patterns, you know what you've got to do. Now we've just got to work on some explosive power to get up there. And if it all goes pear-shaped, you know exactly what you've got to do. The body's already done it. Instead of, right, let's get on the box jumps. Oh, right, yeah, no, if you're going to clip the top, you need to put your hands down so they don't hit your head. That pattern's not there because it takes longer for us to learn it. You mentioned when somebody comes to work with you, um, if if they're apprehensive about doing some of these things or they think that they're not going to be able to do them anymore, yeah. Um, that, that doesn't wash in your world. So how do you work with somebody to change their expectations of, of what's possible for them? We break, we break the movement down into the simplest form of what that movement can possibly be, even to the degree where it's not in that realm of movement, if that makes sense. You know, so let, let's, look at a, let's look at a, you know, I get missed, nearly all my clients eventually do handstands. 
Yeah. So they'd be like, they walk in the door and you're not going to go, right, let's do a handstand today. So we, we break it right down. So we go through all of the, all of, and this might take months to build up to that, to build the confidence within the system of, right, we're doing wrist strength. Okay. So we get all the mobility work through. We'll start doing some crawling patterns. We'll start doing some little bit of rolling pattern. We'll start doing some monkey work. We'll start to slowly get a little bit inverted with some of the work. I'll put them in what I call a, um, there's an inversion chair, which is a yoga chair. So it supports their shoulders. You know, so we're starting to slowly build all the strength. And then all of a sudden, you start to come in and we might go into then go into some monkey sideways with a little bit of a rotation. And you go, right, we're going to go into a bit more of a cart. And over time, they kind of like go, I know what you're doing now. You're building me up to that handstand that you said, that, you know, and I said, I'm never going to do it before. And you go, exactly. It's just a process of if you can do this stage of wrist mobility and hold yourself up. We tick the box, we move on to the next stage. If you can do that stage, we tick the box, we can move on to that stage. And we can check how the nervous system's working as we go along, you know, in regards to all of those. You know, how do they feel? Where are they at? And once you build the confidence in some of those, what I would call easier exercises, now they're not easy for people that have just come in because it's all new and you've got to respect that. You know, they might be looking at doing some of the the crawling patterns on the ground and their hips are tight and their shoulders are hurt. You know, so you've got to go through that discomfort to get better. And as you're going through that, they start to see how they're actually, you know, improving. And that confidence then comes through. And it's the confidence as an aging adult, which is key. Because once you become confident in one thing, you start to have that belief in yourself again. And especially when you've got someone like me standing around going, this is what we're going to do and this is what you are capable of doing instead of having someone on the side going, yeah, no, you're right, mate. You can't do that. Yeah, no, we might as well give that one away. I don't, I don't, have, that, I don't have that vocabulary. It would be like at the moment we might find that an exercise is a bit too challenging. I'll find another way to do it. So tons of people will start on exercise regimes, particularly people, the kind of people that I imagine you're working with. So you're busy with your career. Maybe you've let your health and fitness uh, routines go a little bit and people start and stop and start and stop, um, especially when they're trying to do things off their own back if they're not working with a coach. Definitely. So what do you think are the common mistakes that people are making? Or what, what are the common misconceptions that people have got about what they need to do? Particularly in this age group, I, I it's a, that's a good, that's a really good, that's a really good question. It's a, and it's a difficult one to answer. So, all of my all of my new clients that I take on now, I run them through what I call a physical freedom number um, as a bit of an assessment to start with. I work I work on a on a now it's it's difficult because you've people people come to people come to you still wanting to have a workout. You know, they want to feel that there's a that they've done something. Whereas when I do this physical freedom number, I'll be looking at um, some things in regards to breath work. I'll look at some neurology stuff, you know, like the vestibular system, what their balance mechanisms are like. I'll look at some mobility work. You know, we'll do some strength stuff here, like how many push-ups can you do? What's your squat looking like? What's your ankle mobility and so forth? So I kind of work on a, on a hierarchy of... Um, requirement or need so if someone in my opinion if someone can't stand 
on one leg, you know, for X amount of seconds and they keep on falling over, there's not really any point in me working on squats or whatever it may be um, because there's a hierarchy of order in the human body where you're not really going to get the benefit for the squat. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to work neurology because they need to do some workout. But what we need to explain to them is, right, your balance mechanism is off, which could be related to your vision, your jaw. It might be your ankle. It might be a whole lot of things. So we need to build things in to fix or start repairing that area of your body first before we start going into other areas. I also think people just don't know what to do. They just, you know, they walk into the gym and they go, right, um, I'll jump on the bike or I'll jump on the uh, treadmill. And, you know, if we run a bit, apparently that's good for you. Um, what else do I do? You know, they just, they really just are not, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no program for them. There's no, there's no start point. Well, they've got a start point. They walked into the gym, so you go, brilliant. But they don't have an end point. They don't know what is the right thing for them to be doing. So they just do what the general population does, which what I can tell is they just, uh, no, no, uh, no, I'm not bagging runners, but they just tend to go, I'll go for a run. That's That's what we do. Yeah, I, I was going to mention running myself. I, mean, I, I get people in this age group come to me, and they'll say, "I, I need somebody to push. I need someone to push me. I need yeah. to, you know, they they want to get a workout in, like you say. They they want that uh, endorphin rush of having worked hard. They want to feel like they've put some effort in. That's great. Um, but if you haven't trained for ten years, that might not be the starting point. I had somebody approach me recently. Said, "I want yeah. to train with you five times a week. I need yeah. somebody to push me." Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I'm glad you're enthusiastic. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a good place to start, but there's more to it than this. And as you said, people are often drawn to running. They'll, they they see other people running. They think, okay, I need to get fit. I, therefore I need to do cardio as they perceive it. Yep. And I need to just go out and work hard, pound the pavement. Yeah. Um, if I'm breathing really hard, panting my way along the road for 30 minutes, then I've got a workout in. I've got a workout um, and, and you yeah, see a pile have. of sweat, that means I've done a lot. So that, that's really good. And, you know, if I can't walk for four days, it's even better. You know, it's just such a, it's such a wrong way to look at it now. It's such a wrong way to look at it. So, And th there's definitely a place for working hard. There's definitely a place <laughs> for running if that's what you enjoy doing. Yeah. But um, there's got to be more to it, as, especially as, you're a little, as you get a little older. So you mentioned a couple of things um, about vision and uh, the jaw and the vestibular system. Yes. Could you talk a bit more about that? What exactly uh, are you referring to there? Right. So you, you've, your vision is, is it's, it's virtually the gateway to all of your movement. Now, from my understanding with some of the, the movement neurology stuff that I've done, I've, I've used vision um, in so many different ways. Like your, your nervous system is designed to just to keep you safe. So if you are feeling stressed or the body is feeling stressed in, in a certain area, one of the things that it might do is reduce your field of vision because it's kind of like it kind of like goes in a hierarchy as well. If if you're in a dangerous situation and whatever it may be, 
the body will go, what can I get rid of that I don't need to focus on to get more energy and, and put more focus into your, your, your heart, your lungs, your organs to keep you alive? So vision is one of those things that can I can use and utilize to see where, where people are at. So to give you an example, I did a retreat in, in Austria. And as we were going up the hill, we were 1,700, then we were 1,800, we were 1,900, I would be getting my, my client to do a vision test. Like we checked it at the base level. So the vision check that we had was, you know, what's your periphery like? You know, so you, you have your hands out in front, you take them to the side, eyes are pointing forward, just keep wiggling your fingers. How far can you move your arms and, and still see your thumbs wiggling? So that gives you your base level for what, what's going on. As it turned out, the higher we went, one of my clients, their vision started to narrow. So I know that their nervous system isn't really happy with them going up to those heights. So what we did was we come back down. So it's kind of like climatizing. We come back down. Um, we spent, you know, the, the next day at that level. And then the next day we went higher to just to condition the nervous system and listen to the nervous system about what is happening within that body at that moment in time. And it can change based on food, drink, sleep, whatever it may be. So at that on that day, the vision was starting to be narrowed. So my experience says, that's not right. So let's calm the nervous system, go back down again, because we're not, we're not climbing Everest. We're just there to train health-wise, bring it back down. Vision comes back. Let's go back up again the next day. Vision is much better. So we're using it in, in that area. And it's the same with the, TM, the TMJ. Uh, the jaw, the jaw is meant to move and it's kind of like the gateway from there to the rest of your body. So if your jaw's not functioning in the way it should be, as in can you glide from side to side, can you protract, retract, and get it to move in all different directions, then you may have or may find symptoms or issues happening through your neck and tightness all the way through your body. So there's little things that I look at and how people talk that I can have a look at as well, as in do you, does your jaw drop down or do you, when, you, when, you, when you're chatting and so forth. So I'll look at all these little things to see. Now, it doesn't mean I've got the answer to it, but I can, I can see that there's something happening that is we need to maybe, maybe adjust and work on. So that's all. That's all part of local part of training. So those are kind of cues that you'll pick up on, and you can adjust what you're doing yeah. with the person. Perhaps take the level of difficulty or intensity down. Yeah, 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 and and even to 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 a point where I've had I've had clients where sometimes they just they just seem to be off. You know, things just don't seem to be working as smooth as what they should be so then i'll go and do a visual check to see you know are the eyes actually it's called um saccades where we get the eyes just to move from side to side are they actually tracking smooth or is one eye tracking and one eye is not tracking um, can we do the the vision where we, we bring it in and both eyes come in together and then both eyes you know whatever it may be and that gives me a bit of a clue as what's happening in left and right hemispheres and different things that are going on so then i can build some exercises in for the vision which is fascinating when you you get your client to stand there and then you start doing these things and they're following and then you go right let's go back to the exercise and you go right you nailed it perfect the vision can impact the whole body. Mm, I see. So they can be used as, as, 
they can be used as a kind of reset as well. It's not just a cue for you telling them, telling you to, to uh, change, downregulate this. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 very much so, very mm. much so. So I can, I can, you can use them in the eyes. You can use them in in a in flexibility. So we do um, neuroflexibility, where different eye positions will influence different muscle fibers, which is fascinating. So for argument's sake, if you're just doing, you know, you're doing a hip flexor stretch, you're in a long lunge, yeah, and you, you, you're working on your right side, head forward, just move your eyes to the right. That'll facilitate, you know, the, the, the flexor to just relax and sink down a little bit further. The hard part with everything is remembering all the tools that you've got in your toolbox. That's the challenge. I can imagine. So talk to me. Talk to me a bit about um, how breathing is affected. So I think in our circles, we're, we're everyone's talking about breath work and different practices that we're trying out. Um, yeah. But if that's completely new to you, if you if you go to a coach and you're thinking, I want to be fitter, I want to lose some weight, I need to be generally healthier, and yeah. they start talking to you about breathing, yeah. Uh, what's the what's the relevance of that to somebody? If that's a completely new subject to you, how would you go yeah. about approaching that subject? It's a, it's, a, it's a great subject to talk about, especially, you know, if, if people are seeing what's happening around the world at the moment. You know, Wim Hof is humongous with his with his style of breathing. And it's there's, there's different styles of breathing. Yes, they're all breathing, but they all have different application. So when I talk to people about, you know, well, we're going to do some breath work, and they go, yeah, yeah, I'll do the Wim Hof stuff. And you go, that's fantastic. I'm glad you're doing that. But what we're going to talk about is actually teaching you to become a more functional, efficient breather. So, you know, when you've got Wim Hof, let's call it fruit. You know, Wim Hof does oranges, Oxygen Advantage does bananas. They're both fruit, but they're two completely different things. So when we talk about breath work, you know, Wim Hof style is one element. Oxygen Advantage is the one that I teach is another element of breathing. So they're two completely different things. What we're looking at is helping people become more functional with their breathing just because you breathe and it's automatic doesn't mean it's optimal now that's a big one for a lot of people because they go well i've been breathing since i was born you go so of course everyone has doesn't mean that it's in the best possible way so as part of the the um the 100 points that i do your physical freedom number the first two things that i look at is actually breath i look at how many breaths per minute are they actually taking and what's their bolt score? Because that gives me a really good indicator of how efficient they are in their breathing. So when someone's brand new to breath work and we look at, right, how many breaths per minute do you take? Are you aware of how you breathe? Do you know if you're a nose breather? Are you aware that you breathe through the mouth more, more often than, than not? You know, in, in my world or my thoughts, the nose is for, for breathing and the mouth is for eating, apart from when we're obviously talking because you can't talk and breathe through your nose. Well, you can, but it's really difficult and you sound really weird. Um, so it's a challenge to do that. So give it a go if you want to. <laughs> uh, so we, we look at those and it's, it's, it's an interesting correlation with health issues or how someone is feeling and their energy levels and their posture and then you start to look at how they breathe and you start to see patterns so posture shoulders down you know hunched over a little bit 
more than likely going to be a mouth breather because they can't get into the diaphragm. It becomes a bit of an upper chest thing. So that then tends to be that it's a bit more rapid. So we go more hyperventilation type of thing. When we're into hyperventilation type, you know, rapid breathing, we're, we're triggering our sympathetic tone, which is our fight and flight. When we're standing a bit taller and we can nasal breathe and get down into the diaphragm, into the belly, we start to kick into more parasympathetic, our, you know, our rest and digest, which evens it out, which means that we're becoming a little bit more relaxed in the nervous system. And that's the idea of what we want to do. So we look at the breath rate to start with. And the higher the breath rate, not the better in this case. The lower the breath rate, the better. We want to look for about five to six breaths is the ideal number, which is a challenge for a lot of people. And you're saying five or six breaths per, per, per minute. minute. Per minute, yeah. So that's 10-second rounds. So one of the things I'll teach people is, is um, it's, it's, it's called light breathing where, you know, you're sitting nice and tall, shoulders relaxed, and you're up, upright. You know, you could do it lying down on the ground, but, you know, sitting sitting is okay. And you want to kind of like feel the air coming in through the nose and then slowly exiting the nose. And there's kind of like there's three different levels of breathing that we talk about as well. The first, the first level is, you know, can your person or someone sitting next to you, can they hear you breathe? And you go, okay, so how loud am I with my breathing? Then the second one is, can you hear yourself breathe? And then the third one is, do you know you're actually breathing? That's how light it becomes. So there's good little little markers in there for, for breath work of, of where, where someone might be at. I've recommended the book um, by James Nestor, uh, yes. Breathe, um, yeah. to most of the people who I've trained, because I think it's a really good starting point. It talks about oh, some of the um, the health of the negative health consequences of just dysregulated breathing, breathing through your mouth. Um, and it, some of it's yeah. really, really quite shocking how quickly oh, it can have an effect on you. Yeah, you start to look at you start to look at digestion issues. You start to look at you know jaw positioning, and especially for kids, hey. You know, so if anyone's got kids out there, you want to get them into breathing in and out through the nose as much as possible because the, the, the breathing in through the nose, now I haven't got the technical data on this, but I know what it does, if that makes sense. You know, so I can't tell you what it does in the brain, but I know that the, the effects of it is that it helps with memory, which is one thing. So you know how you've, you've probably heard um, yogis or Buddhist monks when they do the, the exhale breathing and they get that little mm, they get that little vibration that triggers something in their head which is great for memory so you know we can use breath in so many different ways to benefit the body now I've done it just just out of curiosity you know I've been I've been doing nasal breathing for a, a lot of years and getting my clients to do it and we went from one day with one of my clients to give you an example of he was in a he was in a harness. We had him doing pull ups. Now he's in his sixties. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a harness. I've got one of those gymnastic fours where you know on the Olympic rings in a harness. You know, takes fifty percent of your body weight and it makes pull ups and all that stuff a little bit easier. So we had him in there, and he normally manages about twelve sort of pull ups in a row. We said, right, all I want you to do is basically close your eyes. Slow your breathing down in and out through your nose till you really can't even feel it coming through. 
and just see how many pull-ups you can do. It was just kind of like an experiment. I just wanted to see what happened. And he's like, got to the over the 20 mark, and I went, you can probably stop now. It was just like, I can't believe how many more I did. But the body was in, when you start to think about it, when the body's in such a state of calmness, there's no stress on it, it grants you more power. It's kind of like, wow, that's cool. Now, they were really controlled. They weren't fast or rapid because we often do our exercises based on our breathing instead of the exercise, which is something I'll, I'll talk about in a minute, um, which, is, which is a fascinating thing. So you can use the breath to enhance your performance right now, which is great, and calm your body down right now as well. So what did you mean there when you said um, we, we do our exercise um, dictated by the breathing? Yeah, it's, it's the intention. When, when, when we go into a, a, a session or part session, it might be a five-minute block or whatever it may be, it's the intention of what is the intention for the, for the session, for the routine? What do you want to get out of that routine? So if I can say I might jump on the rower, I'll use that as an example, and I'll be like, right, I'm going to hit the concept two rower and I'm going to row five kilometers. Now, is the intention of the exercise for me to do five kilometers? That's one thing I'm going to use, but the intention for that exercise is that I'm going to work on my breathing dynamic while I do the five kilometers. That's the important part. So I might tape my mouth and make sure that I'm only nasal breathing while I do that exercise. Instead of going hell for leather, I'm training my breath while I'm exercising. The intention is to become a better, more efficient breather than just seeing how fast I can row 5K. That is a different way of thinking because I'm now changing and I'm training my diaphragm. I'm training and the, the output is based on how well I can breathe. If I start to feel that I need to take more air in and, and try and do it through the mouth, then I know I'm going over the exertion level at that current moment of pace for my breathing capacity. Over time, it will improve and get better. It's just like everything else, you know, it's like you're doing your curls or your, your squats or your push-ups or your backs, whatever it may be. It's exactly the same theory that we change an element to progress it. So with the breathing, you can just do in and out, like you're doing right now, in and out through the nose, nice and quiet, nice and calm. Then we can change one stimulus, which is, right, I'm going to walk and I'm going to breathe in and out through the nose. Therefore, I'm using more ATP, which means I'm going to be using more energy, which means that my breathing is probably going to pick up a little bit, but I'm going to make sure that I'm walking at a pace that I can still consistently nasal breathe. So the intention is the key. So the intention for the exercise was nasal breathing, not how fast can I row 5K. Ego kicks in, though. Yeah. If you're more of a habitual mouth breather, that's how you're used to breathing when you run or when you do something at a higher intensity. You've got to be prepared to take that hit of, okay, well, I'm going to have to do everything at a lower intensity for a while. But if you stick with it, your, your rate of perceived exertion starts to decrease and you gradually you can work at a higher intensity without needing to breathe through the mouth without panting like a dog. Which, which in turn, which in turn, you know, for the sports people and the competitive ones, you know, in, in the group like myself, which in turn then means when you want to go and do a 5K for time, 
you are more efficient with it because your breathing dynamic is more efficient. Now, I haven't got the answer to this, but it's, it's one that I've often asked is when someone becomes out of breath, is it because they are not fit enough, as in cardio, strength, whatever it may be, or is it because their diaphragm isn't strong enough to maintain that level, so therefore their breathing gives out first? I don't know. I've got probably a theory or a thought that it might be the diaphragm because it's a muscle that's not trained. Yeah, if we can train the breathing dynamics, then what we can also do is go, right, I can tick that off as in, yes, I'm doing that. I'm still getting out of breath. Well, I'm right, I know I need to work on other areas of fitness, you know, for the for the competitiveness, you know, especially, you know, if you're, if you're in the martial arts or whatever it may be, you know, you want to make sure that you're ticking all the boxes to go, right, I'm working with diaphragm, I'm working that so that I don't become fatigued within the first two minutes of a fight and get knocked out. I want to make sure that I've got that, that one covered. Changing gears a little, what got you into coaching in the first place? What started you off on this journey? <laughs> well, well this, is a, this, is a, this is a really good one. It, it, it came about because I needed to put my own body back together. That's, that's how I got into it. It was like I had, um, I had one foot run over by a truck when I was about 13, uh, 14, um, I used to do a milk run back in Australia where you sit on the back of the sit on the back of a flat top and uh, you know deliver milk. So I jumped off the side and my foot went under the wheel. It was about four or five ton, I think it was, and run my foot over flat as a pancake. And then I've had tendons cut off the other foot. I've had back injuries. I've had injections in shoulders, and you know, so I've beaten myself up over the years through windsurf and tennis, martial arts. You know, living in Australia, just doing all those things that you 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 do, yeah. So. You, I had to come around to a point where I need to put myself back together. So it was with it, it all started with the with the shoulders. To be honest, was at one point I couldn't even lift my shoulders up over my head. You know, as I've had two injections in both shoulders, and the next step was actually to go and have a look at having surgery. So I spoke to the the surgeon, and he was like, "We can go in there and clean stuff out, but we might make it worse." So I was like, "Right, I don't want that." I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to go down that path. So then I've just been searching what I can do and sucking information in to get myself. So I, I went and I found uh, GMB, which is an online training platform where we do bear, monkey, frogger, um, crab, and we do you know uh, Olympic Olympic rings and P bars and handstands and all these different movement patterns and you know flexibility work. So. I liked what they were doing, so I become a I become one of their instructors. Yeah, it was a six month program, I think it was um, apprenticeship to become an instructor, which which I kind of like. So it's not. I look for information that I can use for myself, but then will have onto others, and that's how that's how the training come come about. So I I did that, and then I went in and found applied movement urology because I was kind of like when I've had concussions and stuff in the past and you start to read up on these things and it's like, right, I need to understand a little bit more about the brain and how that interferes or interacts with the body and how that can stop you from doing things and how it can also enhance you from, you know, to do stuff. So I've done a, a couple of courses with them, um, uh, the, the neurology flexibility, the, the functional movement stuff and a level one and level two practitioner so we can access different different stuff within the in the brain which is really interesting and i can use you know this is all the eye drills so i can use parts of that with my clients when i when i see dysfunction somewhere i can bring 
bring it in to try and bring the body back into alignment pretty quick. Then you go, and it was kind of like, right, being with the feet and having a, both ankles pretty much screwed up, I've done a um, barefoot movement course to understand how that impacts everything. Your, your feet are the, the foundation of stability and also function. If your feet are, aren't working properly, things upstream can't work properly. It's impossible. If your ankles don't move the way they're meant to move or toes, you know, things up, up top are going to be out of whack. And then the missing piece to the, to the puzzle to a certain degree was, right, what's the one thing that we all do that we need to fix, which is breath. So I've gone and done all of those to, to build it in. And then it just so happened that it's kind of like transferred over to what I do now with, with clients. And uh, that's how I got into, into the training. It's like, right, what, you, what you're doing is, is now helping people. Originally, I started training. I started the business as just an extra, an extra bit of income for holidays and then it's like snowballed and it's what I do permanently and it's grown and grown and grown and grown and now it's venturing to online space as well as in person so it's great the the GMB style of training I really like um, oh, I think it's very accessible to people it's very smart in the way it's programmed yeah yeah so you know I use that philosophy with with all of my clients you know we don't we don't it's it's not all about it's not all about the cool stuff it's about the stuff that people require. And I think that's that's one of the other areas that people are really missing is that they go and stay within their comfort zone and they don't work on the areas that are outside the comfort zone. Progress is made outside your comfort zone. You know, so when, when people come to me, I've had a couple of young guys come in to me, you know, in their 20s, strong as strong as. And it's like, right, what are you good at? Oh, good at squats. I love squats and deadlifts. Fantastic. We ain't doing them. But why not? I'm really good at them because we don't need to work on them. Let's have a look at your balance. Mate, you can't stand up on one leg without falling over. We need to work on that. Yeah? Or whatever, whatever else it may be. So people just tend to migrate to their comfort zone. They stay inside their little circle. We need to go bigger. We need to get out of it. Challenge them. How long was the process of uh, deciding that you needed to rebuild yourself to getting to a point where you feel like yeah you've overcome? Uh, assuming that you do feel like you've overcome these issues with the shoulder and the feet. Yeah, my 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 feet now are, are brilliant. They're, they're the ankle mobility, you know, and and it's kind of like your test stuff, um, you know, so like pistol squats and 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 dragon squats and dragon whatever they're called and all these different things, you know. There's no there's no issues with with those there. It's still a work in progress. I don't think it I don't think it ever stops. It's still a work in progress, but the the hard the hard part is, and I, and I've said this to a few people is, if you've got if you've got a shoulder injury or a back injury or a knee injury, it's kind of like people want a quick fix. The quick fix doesn't work. Never has and never will. What they need to have, what we need to instill is the longevity, you know, the physical pension type of thought process because you may be 50 years of age. In five years' time, you're going to be 55 no matter what. You can't change that. Now, what you can change is in five years' time, you're going to be 55, but you may have had the opportunity to work on your knees, your ankles, your hips, your shoulders in that five-year period. 
Now, in five years' time, if you dedicated a bit of, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes every single day to fix those, in five years' time, I guarantee they're going to be different. But people don't perceive it. You get five years. You want me to work on my shoulders for five years? Well, yeah, in five years' time, you're going to be five-year-old no matter what. So you might as well do a little bit of work. But people kind of like go, well, I'll try it for 12 weeks. You know, I've been working on my shoulders for eight years. And there's still work to do. But only because I've now chosen to work in a different, on different skills. If I just wanted to move around and that was, that was four years ago. But once you start to regain some strength in these different areas, and this is what I talked about earlier, the confidence that comes with that is you go, right, the shoulders are actually starting to feel pretty good, right? I'm going to do some Olympic ring work, right? Cool. I wonder if I can do a muscle up. Yeah, right. I'll learn how to do a muscle up, right? Tick that box off. Got the strength to do that. Build some confidence in that. I wonder if I can do like a ring roll. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can do that. What if I can do a handstand? Right, I'll work up. I can do that. I wonder if I can now start to work on, you know, maybe doing a handstand push-up. You know, I can do that, you know. So the, the, as the strength comes, the confidence comes, and it gives you the ability, if you want to, move on to the next exercise or the next challenge or whatever it may be, which then leads on to other things. You know, like when I was in Turkey the other week, it was kind of like, right, I'm going to go paragliding and jumped off a hill at 1,900 meters. It was brilliant. Loved it. Because you have the confidence in your body of the takeoff, the landing, whatever it may be, all these different things that come through. Yes, definitely thinking long-term enough is, uh, is, is a key ingredient uh, yeah. for getting your body working well, especially if you're coming back from an injury. Um, oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, and not falling into the trap of YouTube videos that say three, three exercises to fix your back or your knee or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah get away from that type of stuff. So what are you focused on at the moment? It's the simple things that people need to do. It's not, it's not, they're not fancy. It's just the consistency of just doing, you know, the, the basic movements that we know that we need to do, yeah? And if people don't know what they need to do, they reach out and find a coach that's going to help them do what they require, not what the majority of what you see on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it may be, Twitter or not, any of those ones. But, you know, you need to find what is requirement for that individual to work on. And then I have a couple of other principles that I work on, which is where juggling and rope flow and different things come in for the neuro pathways and learning new skills. Because one of the biggest fears, I think, for adults is we've all seen it and we've all said it to ourselves or said it to someone else that you may see someone that's slightly older that isn't well, might be dementia, it might be Alzheimer's, it it might be that their mobility is not, and we've all said it, I don't want to be like that. I'm not going to be like that person. But then the majority of the population don't do anything about it. They kind of like just end up there. So it's kind of like bringing things in to make sure that we don't end up there and having the accountability to tick stuff off to say that I'm not going to be there and I'm not going to be there by doing some some juggling, some rope flow, doing some eye drills, get the jaw move, you know, get the head to move up and down in different directions for the vestibular system and the canals to make sure that everything is working the best way. You know, do some squats, do some push-ups, do some pull-ups, get strong. We need strong people. Your body requires it to be strong.
For sure. So uh, you mentioned you work with people in person and you're also working with people online. Yes. Um, where's your focus right now? What, what are you, what's new for you? The, the focus right at this very moment is a program that's coming out. I'm beta testing it in a, in a couple of weeks' time, R25. So that's, that's my personal focus for business-wise. Um, it's designed on, on the five pillars that I, that I work with, breath work, mind flow, mobility, strength, and then the accountability. Um, I, did a, I did a post and I did a, a survey, and one of the things that, that came back, which is where the programs come about, was a lot of people don't know what to do. A lot of people have no gear, and quite a few are very time poor. So we needed they need something that's efficient uh, time-wise, but also guidance-wise and that accountability to make sure that they're doing it on a day-to-day basis. Now, we also know that I think it's – I think it's you might be able to help me with this one. I think it's 21 days to form a habit. I think I've read that many, many times. So I've got the R25, which is a 25-day um, program, so it's five weeks, to, to help start to encourage people to get up in the morning, do some breath work, it's only five minutes, do some some flow, some you know mobility work, it's only five minutes, you know, do another strength exercise throughout the day, it's only five minutes, you know, do a, a, another stretching thing, do some evening breath work, and you've got a little group, so you've got the accountability, and you've got little tick boxes to say that I've done the work, what did you find challenging? And over that time, I want I want to help us aging adults show them that there is another path. It's not I have to go to the gym for 40 minutes, and if I can't go for 40 minutes, it's not worth going. You can do little five-minute blocks throughout the day and get a fantastic benefit from it over time. And as you get more comfortable with it, those little five-minute strength blocks will turn into two blocks, which becomes 10 minutes. And then if you feel like it, you can do three blocks. You know, But we're trying to – I've brought in all the elements from – you know, the oxygen advantage, the the uh, GMB, the footwork and AMN brought them all in to make something that is accessible to everyone to, to, to help them overcome pain is the most important thing because we know as we're getting older, let's face it, joints start to creak and groan a little bit more. Many realize that they haven't actually got the strength to do things, whether it be picking up grandkids or moving things around. And I just don't, I don't, I don't really want, I don't want to, I don't want to have, or see people that go, I wish I could. Do you know? When, you know, when they, people go on holidays, we get older, I wish I could do that again, or I wish I could go and play golf, or I wish I could go and walk up that little hill, or I wish, you know, we were away in Turkey, as I said the other week, and people walking up and down the stairs were like out of breath. It's, it's a set of stairs. And they're not old. They're not old people, you know. They're 40, 45, or 50. They're not old. It's like... I'm so unfit. There's a set of stairs. I'm struggling to get up and down the stairs. Well, what are you doing to fix that? Nothing. I want to change that. That's that's the that's the mission. I want to change that. I love it, Rob. I can absolutely 100% resonate with that. Um, yeah, when I when I'm out and about and I see people struggling, you see it more in the summer. You know, you see people wearing fewer clothes, and you see what kind of shape people are in. Yeah. And. Yeah, uh, you, you've only got to look around to see that the majority of people now are not in good shape. Uh, no, they're not. It's all ages. It's not just older people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, and I don't say that to be judgmental at all. No, um, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It's, 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 it's a known fact now. I think it's something like is it, it's, it's over 70% of the world's population now 
uh, uh, let's call it just out of shape. You know, I'm not going to say they're obese. You know, it's, it, it's and it never used to be that way. It never used to be that way. So it's it's kind of it's kind of like whatever's happening in the world is not going in the right direction for older folk to live well. It's going in it's going in the, in the opposite direction. So there needs to be a shift. We need to change thought processes, mind flow. We need to change daily habits. We need to look at what we're eating. We look at need to look at what we're we're doing on a movement platform. Are we moving? You know, I, I think I think the the ten thousand steps a day. I think some people look at that and think that's all I have to do, and it's kind of like well, no, that's a bare minimum to a certain degree. Now I'm not I'm not a step counter. But if, if you're only walking 10,000 steps a day and you're not doing any strength work, you're not doing any breath work, you're not doing any flexibility work, you're not doing any, you know, mindfulness, then you're, you're, not, you're not going to be thriving as you get older. You're still going to be, unfortunately, probably in a, in a world of pain. Yes, you're doing 10,000 steps and I congratulate you for that. But there's much more to that. And I think the, the trouble is that we're kind of conditioned to think, well, just do 10,000 steps and you'll be okay. That's not the case. You need to do. You need to do all the other elements. The strength, you know. Um, just one of, one of, I had a I had a client a little while ago. And this is a great example. They were they're in their seventies. So some of my classes that I do, we do the rolling patterns. Of, as I said, they they tripped going down the streets, but they just rolled and got back up again. And it was kind of like that's so cool because one of the things as we get older is when we have breaks or injuries. Yes, it takes a lot longer to repair. Now, I think one of the statistics is, and this is a horrible statistic, is once you're over the age of 65, and if you have an operation on your hip, something like that, it's a really high proportion of people that have had that happen, and then within the next five years, they pass away. That's a horrible statistic. The body just doesn't cope. So it's kind of like, what are we doing to prepare our bone structure, you know, bone density, for if we do fall, how well are we going to recover? And as I said, it's just that one time that you do the training for that could be the thing that changes your entire life. I can't remember the statistic myself either, but I think falls are one of the biggest factors that leads to shortening of lifespan for older people, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because all the yeah. downstream effects, not necessarily the fall itself, but then the lack of mobility afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's... We're, we're, you know, which, which is where the name comes in, the, the physical pension. Well, we've take, taken it full circle there. So, Rob, how can people connect with you? How can people find out more about your R25 program? They can find me on Instagram is probably the, the easiest one, which is your physical pension. I've also got another page on Instagram, uh, which is called your functional body which uh, kind of goes hand in hand with the two. So that would be the easiest way. I am on Telegram for those that, that look out or on Facebook as well. So be more than happy to, to chat and discuss whatever you need. This is a pleasure, Rob. Thanks very much for your time. Mate, much appreciated. And thank you. Thank you to all. Have a great day.